All right, sound is speeding. We are recording. Cool. All right, let's begin. Either they don't know, don't show, or don't care about what's going on in the hood. Welcome to Adventures in Black Cinema. My name is Desmond Thorne, and I will be your host and your film aficionado for the day. And I'm thrilled, as always, to be giving you your passport to black film. I'm very excited for this week's episode. Our adventure this week is in feasting and family, and we will be getting into the nitty-gritty of soul food. But first, some gay shit. Now you want to talk about beating? Let's talk about beating. So, Some Gay Shit is a segment that I do on the show air once in a while, uh, where I talk about something gay that's been happening in the media, or I put my own little gay spin on something that's happening in television or film. And usually the past few of these have been centered around the show Lovecraft Country in some form or fashion. And that is no exception for today. Um, If you have not watched Lovecraft Country and you intend on watching the show, Uh, There will be uh, some spoilers in this, so maybe skip this section if you haven't seen the show yet. But uh, if you have, follow along. Uh, So today, some gay shit, we'll be talking about straight actors who play gay roles. Now, this is something that often uh, really annoys me a lot, actually. I think that there are so many gay actors out there. I mean, we did not go through being called fags in high school and middle school and be in the school musicals and shit to not be cast in roles when we make it in Hollywood um, or Broadway. Um, But... I will say one of the exceptions to the rule is Mr. Michael Kenneth Williams, a.k.a. Michael K. Williams, who is not only playing a gay character on Lovecraft Country, but also played a gay character on a show called The Choir. Uh, He is very famous for playing Omar. Omar is one of the best characters on the show, hands down. He is kind of like a Robin Hood of the hood, you know, takes from the people who are getting all this money in the drug game and, you know, gives it in some form or fashion to those who are less fortunate. And um, I love that Omar on the Wire is openly gay. You know, he has a boyfriend. He's very public about it, goes around with him and everything. And, um, you know, in Lovecraft Country... There is a bit more of a struggle with his character's sexuality. I mean, it's Chicago in the 50s and he's black. Like, 
I absolutely get it and understand. You know, I do not fault him in any way. But there is also a journey of acceptance that is happening with this character on the show, which is really beautiful to see. So to see him play Omar, who is the best character of the show, who is an openly gay character, everyone knows about it, um, to have him be the best character on this show is a really great thing, you know, in terms of, you know, queer representation. Uh, though he's not a gay actor, to have a queer character be the best, most baller person in the show who people are fucking scared of, like, that's dope. And that's a facet of queerness and queer culture that you don't really see a whole lot in media. Like, motherfuckers can be scared of us. Absolutely. We come through. We come through. Um, and in terms of Lovecraft Country, um, again, kind of seeing a struggle that can be very real. Um, but it's not all rooted in that. Again, there is a bit of acceptance in there that's actually really beautifully done that I talked about in a previous episode. So I think what this does here that's really interesting, since both of these shows have very big Black audiences, you know, it is changing the way that Black audiences can see queer Black characters. Um... I don't think in a lot of ways that, you know, a lot of black audiences who are straight are seeking out that authentic black queer content that I've seen so much of personally. Um, So this is a way to kind of almost like bridge that gap to get people thinking about queer black people in a different way in a different light? Is that something that's necessarily like needed? Do I need that personally? Uh, to be kind of validated by straight people? No, but it does help. The way that we are portrayed in the media very much aligns with how we are seen in real life. So it's important to have characters like uh, Omar and this character on Lovecraft Country whose name is Montrose. Um, I think seeing more varied representation will make people who don't necessarily realize realize that we do take on different qualities, that we can be badass, that we can be struggling and also find acceptance. So I think it's really beautiful. Um, Love Michael K. Williams, great actor. You know, he adds so many layers to these performances. And yeah, I'm really happy for him. And if you haven't seen Lovecraft Country or The Wire, they are streaming on HBO and HBO Max. Check them out and without... Any further ado, let's get into the nitty gritty of soul food. You are here for one reason, one reason only to learn, to learn, to learn. So, Soul Food is a film from 1997, directed by George Tillman Jr. And if you don't know about the movie, I'll give you a little summary per usual. Uh, This classic 90s film tells the story of a family whose balance is thrown off when the matriarch of the family, Big Mama, played by Irma P. Hall, has a stroke during a surgery and can no longer be around to guide the family. We then follow the trials and tribulations of Big Mama's daughters, Terry, Maxine, and Bird, played by Vanessa Williams, Vivica A. Fox, and Nia Long. 
their relationships with each other, their relationships with their partners, and also their family units. And this is all explored through the eyes of Maxine's young son, Ahmad, played by Brandon Hammond, as he tries to bring the family back together in Big Mama's absence. So speaking of Brandon Hammond, he's been in four movies that we've covered so far. Waiting to Exhale, Tales from the Hood, Menace to Society, and this film, This Little Boy Ruled the 90s. And I haven't done my research yet, but I, I want to know where he's gone. Brandon Hammond, where have you gone to? Why have you gone away? This film also stars Mackay Pfeiffer. I love Mackay Pfeiffer, but I this character... Uh, really annoys me. Uh, we'll talk about that later. Uh, we have Michael Beach, whose presence to me usually spells trouble because I think of the character that he played in Waiting to Exhale, Angela Bassett's husband. But he's actually a pretty good guy in this. You know, he's a musician. He wants to explore how he can be a musician in his life. Um, Jeffrey D. Sams is in this, playing Maxine's husband. And then we also have Gina Rivera playing the lady's cousin Faith. Uh, this character is also so-so for me. I think mostly because of Gina's performance. I am so sorry if you are a friend of Gina Rivera or if you are Gina Rivera. I don't think she's that great in this movie. Lo siento, like lo siento. Uh, a character that, you know, has a lot and is involved in a lot of great moments in the movie, but like her performance is just like, God, I don't know, not the best. Uh, yeah, sorry. So some fun facts about this movie. Uh, first fun fact being that Vanessa Vivica and Nia all played a love interest for Will Smith at some point on The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, which I love. I remember them all being on the show at some point, but I especially, of course, remember Nia Long being on Fresh Prince, uh, being uh, the one that Will Smith ultimately marries. Great character, great performance. Ugh, I love Nia Long, as y'all know already. Um, second fun fact... Courtney B. Vance was actually offered the role of Kenny, but turned it down. So Kenny, like I said, is Maxine's husband, who is played by Jeffrey D. Sams. I think it's actually good that Courtney B. Vance turned this role down. It doesn't really have the gravitas of a lot of Courtney B. Vance roles and roles that he likes to take on. And like I said, Jeffrey D. Sams does a nice job. So I'm glad that he got to do uh, this role. Last fun fact is that this film was adapted into a successful Showtime series that ran from 2000 to 2004, where Irma P. Hall reprised her role as Big Mama, and get this, the other Vanessa Williams played Maxine, who is Vivica A. Fox's role in the film. And when I say the other Vanessa Williams, I mean the Vanessa Williams that was in Candyman. Don't say that. The old one and the new one and has been involved in a lot of great projects. Uh, she was in, uh, she was involved in a great web series last year that we had a new fest called A Love Tale. Great, great actor. And also, there is apparently a sequel to this film in development called More Soul Food. Yes. 
I look forward to that. It could be awesome. You never know. So my first experience with this movie is that I had seen most of it over the years. This film definitely fell into the category of being very popular when I was growing up and uh, my parents liking it but not being allowed to see it because there's a sex scene. People fuck in this movie. So, you know, I wasn't allowed to see it for a long time, um, but I did see most of it. And I saw it in full early on during quarantine, and I loved it. You know, I really miss my um, extended family a lot during quarantine. um, And these kind of big gatherings that we would have that we would have been attending this summer had COVID not been a thing. You know, we do have a family reunion every summer and my mother's side of the family is quite large. My grandmother uh, was one of nine kids and they all had kids and they all have like thriving families. So it's a big event and it's a fun event. But you know, Miss Rona was like, nah, y'all ain't gonna get together this summer. That ain't gonna happen. Because they also live in Cleveland, Ohio, and that would have required travel, and things were scary during the summer. Things do remain scary, but they were high-key, high-key, high-key scary this summer. Um, So yeah, I loved this film when I first saw it, and I think I liked it a little bit more the first time, actually. Uh, My views were actually tainted a little bit the second time around because of someone's comments that I saw on Letterboxd. I talk about Letterboxd a lot. Y'all should get on it. It's a fun social media thing, kind of for movies. Um, And this person said that they thought Soul Food was a precursor to Tyler Perry movies, but that Tyler Perry movies are more interesting. What? Which I highly disagree with because... First of all, Tyler Perry movies, I think, use a lot of those character stereotypes and character archetypes that I talked about two weeks ago on our Trust and Believe when talking about ethnic notions. I think that he still kind of upholds those stereotypes in his movies, which is weird and I don't like it. And I don't think that this movie does that actually really at all. Um, I think this movie has a more authentic representation in terms of its characters and in terms of its family dynamics. These characters feel way more real to me. So in that vein, let's get into the feasting portion of this adventure. So I miss soul food so much. Um... I live in Astoria, and Astoria is a very diverse place. Queens is a very diverse borough and county. Um, And I will say that you can find pretty much any kind of food here and like an authentic type of this food from any nationality, really, except for soul food. Like there are some comfort food places, but... It ain't no soul food. It isn't. There's a soul food place that opened, but I think it's closed now because of COVID because I sure as hell walked my ass over there one day with two friends and that bitch was closed. So this film made me hungry even before I watched it, like both times because I just haven't had it in a while. Um, and, you know, it's absolutely a um, an option for me to go to Harlem or to Brooklyn 
find a good soul food spot and get some. But, you know, living in Queens and there being a pandemic happening, I'm really not trying to travel outside of my neighborhood often. So I've taken this L and just kind of, you know, have been waiting patiently until we get to Thanksgiving to have some fucking soul food. But man, oh man, I can just close my eyes and imagine and give you a mental image of the food that is on the table in the first scene of this movie uh, where they're all gathering around. Uh, I see, my eyes are closed right now. I just wanna let y'all fucking know. Um, I see fried catfish. I see collard greens. I see ham hock in those motherfucking collard greens. Uh, there's a part where Vanessa Williams' character asks Big Mama, you know, why do we have to have ham hock? And the answer is because ham hock is delicious, Vanessa. It is delicious. It is so good. It is just like fat. And it is amazing. Okay, let me close my eyes again. What else do I see? I see mac and cheese. I see potato salad. I see this thing called egg pie, which I don't think I've heard of or had maybe I've had it before I did google recipes for it after I watched this movie and it did look kind of familiar sounds fucking delicious um what else do I see I see some form of sweet potatoes uh just everything on that table there was definitely a peach cobbler situation happening there but suffice to say the food in this movie looks fucking popping. And this table is full of food. Oh my God, it just brings me right back to holiday dinners at my grandmother's house in uh, Cleveland. We called her Grammy. I've definitely talked about her before. And it just, you know, the way that food brings this family together in this film is so beautiful and it's so real. So in this film, you know, they have Sunday dinners every Sunday, just huge Sunday dinners, like holiday size dinners every Sunday in which it's the family. Sometimes they have special guests coming because it's like a legend in the neighborhood, these Sunday dinners. And the reverend is also always there. And this reverend, you know, a very realistic representation of what a reverend can be. Um, Talks a lot, seems to be very pious, but you know, when the liquor starts pouring, hits on the ladies. And this reverend is also very... um, suspiciously quiet in one of the last scenes when they're having a Sunday dinner and a lot of shade is being thrown, a lot of tea is being spilled. This man doesn't say a word, which is really interesting. Um, But food really does bring family together. Like, these huge gatherings that we have in my family of, you know, Thanksgiving, Christmas, family reunions, they're just fucking lit. It's so great to see everybody The food is always straight poppin'. It doesn't matter if, you know, it is an event where it's just our family. So that's also food for the most part. Um, Sometimes my sister-in-law's family will come through and her mom makes Italian food, which is also slappin'. It is so good. Her parm is just like off the hook. Um, And then also my sister-in-law's sister is married to a Puerto Rican man. So sometimes his family will come through and they'll come through with Puerto Rican food. They'll come through with panil. They'll come through with this really great dish that's like um, chicken liver with um, not maduros. uh, They're more like tostones. 
um, and just like popping shit. So I love this kind of like multicultural thing that'll even happen sometimes when my family gets together. Um, but the great thing about this movie when they do feast is that you kind of see that everyone in the family has their own specialties. Like, I can't remember what, um, I can't remember what Maxine's specialties are, but apparently Maxine can throw down. Of course, Big Mama makes most of the food. Um, Terry can apparently do the cornbread, which they make fun of her about because a lot of times cornbread does come from a box, but she claims she makes it from scratch. And Bird, who Nia Long plays, just did not get the cooking gene at all. Uh, In the first dinner scene, she makes uh, fish cakes and nobody wants them. They're all like, oh, my plate is full. Uh, We all know you can't cook and all that shit. And that's the fun thing about family, too, is that they can be honest with you in a way that doesn't feel offensive. You just, like, get on them back. You just rag back on them. And it made me think of my... Families, specialties that I cannot wait to have again um, during the holidays. Um, So my mom, oh my God, my mom's greens, collard greens and green beans are just out of this fucking world. The texture, the flavor, sometimes they're spicy. Whatever it is, you always just get such a fullness in your mouth and you always have to so because her greens are juicy you gotta strategically place them on the plate in a place where you don't mind getting a little little collard green juice on your food on the other items you know um sometimes she'll do them with smoked turkey wings and sometimes she'll do them with ham hock like i said ham hock is fucking delicious don't knock it till you try it um And one time during quarantine, she actually experimented with adding a little apple cider vinegar to her green beans. And it was, (sighs) it was fucking legendary. It was just so fucking good. I could have eaten that whole pot. And the great thing about a pot of really good collard greens is at the bottom, you get a lot of juice. You get a lot of juice. And you know what they call that? They call that pot liquor. And I used to just be like, ma, give me the greens, and then also give me the pot liquor. Um, Just so delicious. Everything is just soaked in there, and it's amazing. So my brother's specialty is mac and cheese. And let me tell you, a lot of people listening right now think that they have had mac and cheese, but they have not had real, authentic mac and cheese. If you have had a mac and cheese that is cooked noodles in a cheese sauce and the noodles are loose, that ain't real mac and cheese. That is the colonizer's mac and cheese. A true mac and cheese is baked in the oven and has more the consistency of a casserole. It's got to have a crust on the top. So my brother um, just absolutely nails this recipe that has been passed on through my family. My mom actually put a lot of family recipes in a book for my sister-in-law. So I also have access to these recipes because I took pictures of all of them. Um, But my brother's mac and cheese. So he does, you know, layers of the cooked macaroni with layers of cheese, layers of butter. You do layers. You do about like four or more layers of all of these things. You put that shit in the oven and you bake it. And his comes out fucking perfect every time. It's so fucking good. Like, I really want some right now. So good. 
Um, my aunt Bonnie, who recently just passed, unfortunately, her specialty was definitely um, sweet potatoes. Uh, her sweet potatoes were fucking amazing. She would slice them in an interesting way. They wouldn't be chunks, which is um, the chunks are very common, I think, when you are doing a baked um, sweet potato casserole. Um, she would also add sliced apples to hers and brown sugar and cinnamon and nutmeg. Uh Again, it came out perfect every time with this kind of like uh, delicious syrup that is on the bottom of it that, again, place strategically on your plate so you know what kind of flavors are mixing. Just absolutely amazing. And my grandmother, who is also dead at this point, Grammy, her ribs, oh my God. I still have never had... Pork ribs as good as hers. They were just fucking amazing. Just so meaty, tender, fell off the bone. She made her own sauce. Just like absolutely brilliant. Just beyond delicious. Beyond anything that I can really even even describe. Um, both of my uncles on my mom's side, Uncle Aaron and Uncle Ricky, are... Um, really masters of frying things. My Uncle Ricky's fried turkey is amazing. My Uncle Ricky can also throw the fuck down on a grill. Uh, His barbecue is so good. And he'll also do things like pig feet and a bunch of like pig stuff that a lot of people usually don't eat. Um, More like Southern stuff. And uh, my Uncle Ricky can also throw down on some breakfast. I'll never forget a breakfast that he made for us when we were kids. OMG, so good. My Uncle Errol's fried fish is amazing. And then also, my sister-in-law does really good sweet potato casserole as well. And also, I usually don't like stuffing. I don't fuck with it. But my sister-in-law's stuffing is so good. So, 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 so good. So, yeah. Holidays around my family are fucking lit. Literally, no matter how you slice it. I do wish we had some sort of tradition like Sunday dinner, but that's a lot of work. That's a lot of food. Um, And they had a lot of people in this movie helping them out. Um, Mostly the daughters are helping Big Mama cook the food. You don't really see the dudes helping out a lot, which I will definitely talk about some of the gender dynamics in terms of this family. We are in the next section of this adventure, family. So the family dynamics represented here, like I said earlier, feel very real to me. The sisters, even though they don't always get along, they always have each other's backs. Like Terry and Maxine definitely have birds back at the wedding when her uh, husband, Mackay Pfeiffer, when his ex comes and starts like dancing up on him. Me either. Doesn't matter who invited him, what we do instead, and let him fill you up in your wedding gown. And now your man is out there bumping and grinding with some Miss Hoochie Mama, acting like it wasn't a wedding less than 10 minutes ago. Who's man? Your man, girl, bumping. Oh, hell no. Ain't nobody mm-hmm. about to disrespect me on my wedding. That's what I'm talking about. Excuse me, lady. And did you see that wedding? dress Miss Thing had on? You see her behind in that girl, dress? Girl, just all up her butt. See, that's what she get, dragging somebody in who ain't got nothing and putting him off on fam. They have her back. Um, Terry also has birds back when Mackay Pfeiffer, you know, 
does some fuck shit, does some dumb shit to her and confronts her about something that she did. And so um, Terry calls someone to uh, get someone to jump Mackay Pfeiffer's character, which is very unlike Terry. Terry is a lawyer. She plays by the book. She's very uptight. Um, but, you know, she has her sister's back. Now, there is some beef that is between Terry and Maxine throughout this whole movie, pretty much. It's explained that it's because Maxine stole Kenny from Terry when they were in high school. But I feel like there's more than that to the situation. Um, And I think it's because of the way Vanessa Williams excellently plays his character. She just knocks it right out of the park. You know, I, when I first saw this movie, I was like, Vanessa Williams should have gotten nominated for something for this role. She's absolutely amazing. You can tell just by her performance that Terry is so wounded in a lot of ways, in more ways than are represented in the film. She's been through so much. That's why she always has this guard up. It's absolutely fascinating to watch. She's such a good character. And um, I feel like the reason why I feel like it's so real is because there is an aspect of this family dynamic that feels like my family. You know, my mom and her sisters didn't always get along, but they always had each other's backs. There's only two of them left now, which is so sad. It's just my mom and my auntie Nat. Um, My aunt Bonnie died earlier this year and my aunt Connie died a couple years ago. So, you know, it's kind of sad to see the family shrinking down, but still through that, you know, we still always, always, always have each other's backs. And there's something to be said about the gender dynamics in this movie. I feel like a lot of them are very old school, a kind of like stand by your man and don't fuck with the dynamic kind of thing that I really don't love. So... Uh, there's a part where Mackay Pfeiffer loses his job. Mackay Pfeiffer is an ex-convict, and it is very true that this world is not fair to ex-convicts at all, especially in terms of the workplace. It's very hard to find a job once you check that box of being an ex-convict. So instead of just being upfront and honest with his wife about the situation, um, Jeffrey D. Sams's character, Kenny, tells him not to tell his wife, never to never tell a black woman that he's lost a job because, you know, they'll go off and basically go after your masculinity, blah, 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 blah. So he doesn't tell her. Um, you know, eventually she does find out. And in order to help, she contacts her ex-boyfriend and gets him a job. She doesn't do anything sexual. She just, you know, flirts with him a little bit and then gets him this job. So when he finds out about this, and he's also doing excellently at this job when he gets it, but when he finds out, he goes off on her. You know, he like, first of all, fucking breaks the glass on her shop when he opens the door and slams it. And then he does not hit her, but he comes very close to it in a confrontation. It's um, pretty scary. And also, um, I feel like the advice that Nia Long does eventually get from Maxine is kind of bullshit. She tells her, you know, 
basically that she shouldn't have done it because the man always needs to feel like a man in the situation. And I'm like, I don't really agree with that. If you need help, fucking communicate. This has been the downfall of so many relationships. And I feel like there really is no follow up to that. As in like, there is no, here's me saying the statement. And then also here is me proving that statement wrong in some form or fashion through the characters of the movie. Because at the end of the movie, you know, after this whole thing happens, uh, you know, Terry gets the guys to jump Mackay Pfeiffer. Mackay Pfeiffer pulls a gun on them and he gets arrested again. So he's in jail for a little bit. And then when he gets back from jail, um, you know, Nia Long sees him, hugs him, gives him so much love. You know, she hasn't seen him in a while. Um, but then she also apologizes. And I'm like, Nia Long, you did nothing wrong. Because, like I've said on the show, she can do no wrong. Nia Long can do no wrong. Nia Long. Nia Long can do no wrong. Nia Long. And that's true. She did nothing wrong in this situation. She did not fuck her ex-boyfriend. She just got her husband a job that he was good at. So, I don't know. You know, um... I wonder what other women think about this or what other people just think about the gender dynamics represented here. Um, And, you know, the scene where he does come back at the end um, is part of this whole plan that Brandon Hammond has, you know, these tropes in these movies of like the kid coming up with the plan to bring the family back together. It's very sweet. Um, But he tells everyone in the family that there's this money that Big Mama has been stashing away somewhere for him. So he gets all the family together because they haven't been talking to each other because Faith fucked the family. Fuck the family. The family, I love the family in my house. You know what? The family fucked my husband. Yeah, Faith fucked my husband. (laughs) One of the best lines in the movie. So Cousin Faith ends up fucking Vanessa Williams' husband in his recording studio. She catches him, and um, she doesn't say anything at the moment. She waits until uh, Maxine's anniversary party. And at Maxine's anniversary party, things come to a head. And this is the best scene in the movie. Vanessa Williams gets so angry that she pulls a knife and, like, runs through the party with a knife after Cousin Faith. Can we talk about what? Fuck you! It is absolutely incredible. It is one of the best scenes in black cinema, period. And again, Vanessa Williams should have been nominated for something in this. Um, Yeah, she's just so good. And um, though I find Faith's character to be frustrating and also Mackay Pfeiffer's character to be super frustrating, they do serve their purposes for sure. Um, another aspect of this movie about family that really struck a chord and really hit home is this idea of taking care of family members when they're older. 
Um, it is a very real thing that everyone has to go through, has to see in their life, and also has to be a part of at some point. Um, I think it's represented in a very real way here with the hospital visits and everyone just kind of things falling apart sometimes when these older people start to leave the family. Um, You know, when my grandmother died on my mom's side, when Grammy died, the family didn't really fall apart, but there was an aspect of, you know, we, when we would travel over there, we would stay at her house and, you know, it was always a certain thing and it was, it's, it's, it's a different feeling now that she's gone, you know, love, love, love my family to death and they're amazing and we still see each other often, but you can't deny the fact that it's just different when like those important people in the family die and now that my Aunt Bonnie has died, it's like, things are going to also be different. And it's just, you know, it's sad. It's unfortunate. I will definitely miss her a lot. This will be the first time whenever we make it back over there that she won't be there and that we won't have her sweet potatoes. Um, Yeah, it's just done really well in this movie and um, represented with a sense of accuracy. And that also brings me to, I think, my last point here, bringing together both aspects of food, of uh, feasting, and family, I should say, uh, that if you go to a black funeral, uh, it sh- it's mo- more than likely, unless it's like a very, very sad circumstance, a young person has died, something like that, it's going to be lit and you're going to be feasting. I remember my other grandmother on my father's side, when she died, oh my God, the food. She was Caribbean, and one of her best friends that she lived around was also Caribbean. She was Jamaican, so she made curry chicken, she made rice and peas, she made a bunch of stuff, and I feel like there were other Caribbean dishes there, and it was just so good, so fucking delicious and I think that is what helps the funeral become more of a celebration than just a sad time of mourning is that if the food is lit then that brings people together that inspires conversation that inspires a warm feeling that people have when they're having some good food and that is the importance of soul food That's the importance of this movie. That's the importance of family. So in conclusion, I really love this movie in a lot of ways. I think it shows a certain family dynamic that almost borders on stereotypes in terms of dialogue, but it still feels accurate to me. I can see where this person was going in terms of comparing it to Tyler Perry movies. But again, I fucking disagree. Uh, This cast is stacked Shout out to Robbie Reed, who's one of the most prolific black casting directors. This cast is just absolutely brilliant. Um, And also, this is a babyface soundtrack. Uh, He's in this movie uh, in Kenny's band with Casey and JoJo. And Song for Mama by Boys to Men, which plays in the opening credits and the closing credits. Shoot.
A fucking classic tune. It is absolutely amazing. And also, in some ways, this film inspires me to get off my ass and cook. Like, I didn't say that I have a special dish because I really don't. I'm usually the person that brings some lit food, usually a dessert from uh, New York. Shout out to Benchflower Bakers and Christine. I usually bring a lot of her stuff to family gatherings. But, you know, maybe I might fuck around with something this year. We'll see. Um, this film is absolutely worth checking out. It is a fucking classic, and it's available to rent on Amazon and iTunes. All my life I had to fight. So, the time has come for the You Better Act Award. If you don't know, this is an award that I give out every week to a performance that I think is just absolutely amazing, just knocks it right out of the park, and I want to talk about it and show it some love. So this week's You Better Act Award goes to, drumroll please, Winston Duke in Nine Days. So this is kind of unfair because this movie is not out yet. I can't tell you where to watch it. Um, I saw it through a film festival, a virtual screening, but it's really, really good. Um, And like I said two episodes ago, these black Yale School of Drama actors are fucking next level. Winston Duke is known for playing M'Baku in Black Panther, as well as the husband and the tethered version of the husband in Us, with Lupita, who is also a Yale School of Drama graduate. He gives us such a different energy in this movie. Um, In both of those movies, there is a lot of strength in in M'Baku and in um, Winston's um, tethered character in Us. And in this movie, he gives such a soft, non-comedic performance. He plays a recluse who lives in a house in an unknown world who has to decide between several souls vying for life in the real world. And he gets to choose who deserves to be born and give them life. It's such an interesting concept. You know, folks are not ready for this um, existential movie with black leads. I'm really excited for y'all to see it. This film premiered at Sundance this year. It won a screenwriting award. Um, This film also stars Zazie Beetz, who plays one of the souls, uh, Benedict Wong, Tony Hale, and Bill Skarsgård. Yeah, again, Winston is just so brilliant in this movie. You see so much from him without him even saying anything. And again, his physicality is just so different. It's just a next level performance and I'm excited again, again for y'all to see it. Uh, This film will be released uh, January 21st, I believe in theaters. I don't know what that's going to look like um, if it's going to be in drive-ins or if it'll be virtual, but we'll see. We will see. So in closing for today, some food for thought. What are some of your favorite soul food dishes? I'm so curious. And are there any that you could do without? Um, hit us up on SFB Society, comment on our Instagram post at Adventures in Black Cinema, subscribe to the podcast on uh, Apple, and also follow us on Spotify. 
thank you per usual to the team behind the pod. We have Mr. Matt Mozzarella on the audio engineering thing. We have Miss Trinika, our producer's assistant. And we have the one and only Amanda Seals as our executive producer. Big ups to all of them, as always. And next week on our 20th episode... I will be getting into the nitty-gritty of Spike Lee's 1992 film, Malcolm X, as well as the 1972 documentary directed by Alan Pearl, also called Malcolm X. See y'all then. Until then, stay safe, stay black, stay blessed.